All right, we are in week number two of a four-part series, and I am glad that you're here today. And I to that I say, oh, thank God that you're here today. You know, we say that a lot, don't we? Or we think it or we hear it, and we have to wonder when that is said, oh, thank God. Uh, we have to wonder, really, is that what we're talking about? Is that who we're talking about when we say that? Are we truly giving God credit for whatever just happened. And most often, right? Most often when we hear that, no, really, that's not what's happening at all, right? It's just kind of a phrase for us. Uh, as I was preparing for this series, I ran across a story about Albert Einstein. He's uh, the guy with the crazy hair and uh, the genius. Uh, and Albert Einstein, something very interesting I ran across, it talked about how one day he was interacting with some of his brightest students, which I'm assuming most of us would be in that if, if he were around today. We could maybe be among his brightest students. Me, certainly not. You, maybe. Um, but he was talking to them, and he was talking to them, having a conversation, talking about God. And the conversation, as it continued, Einstein asked these students this question. He said, what percentage of the total knowledge in all of the universe do you suppose that we possess right now? How much do we know right now of all the information in the universe? And his students, they came up with several different uh, uh, numbers, and it kind of averaged out to be about, they were suggesting 2% of all the knowledge of the universe that they had right then or access to right then. And so this Nobel Prize winning physicist, Albert Einstein, he replied like this. He said, well, I think your guesses are high, but he said, I'm going to accept your figure of 2%. And then he asked this question. He said, now tell me, what are the chances that God exists in the other 98%? In other words, if all we have is 2% and you doubt that there is a God, what are the chances that he's in that other 98%? That is pretty wise of Mr. Albert Einstein, right? Pretty wise. Now, in week one, we actually talked about last week, we talked about this last week. We said, um, you know, we all experience doubt as it relates to God sometimes. It just enters into our lives, into our minds. And I count myself among you. It happens to me too. We get these thoughts sometimes that we say, yeah, listen, is this all legit? I mean, is, is, uh, what's the point in all of this? Am I just going through motions? Are we alone? Is this just a happy little accident in the middle of this unimaginable chaos? What is going on? We all, at times in our lives, experience doubt. But last week, we landed at this, and here was really what we said. You'll have to go listen to last week in order to make more sense of this. But we landed at this point. We said, when we doubt, we can know that God exists. Now, I'm going to take a moment here just to, to let you know on the listening guides, if you see a number like that right there, that number one, then that means there's your first blank on your listening guide for the number one, and the word is no. I'm not going to refer to that anymore. Just when you see that on the screen, you'll know, hey, that's a listening guide. Let me, and you can get that inserted right there. But that's where we landed last week. When we doubt, we can know 
that God exists. And we gave several different reasons why that would, would be happening. And our springboard verse for last week was this. It was Ephesians chapter 1, and this was a prayer. This part of the verse was a prayer that Paul was praying for the churches who would eventually read this letter that he was writing to uh, the church that met in Ephesus. And here's what Paul said in this prayer. He says, he's asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, here's what I'm praying. I'm asking God to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, and here's why, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So that is so important. He says, we can grow in our knowledge of God, which is exactly what this whole series is about in November, us growing in this knowledge of God. So that's where we left off last week. But Paul continued his prayer in verse 18. And let's read verse 18 now. He said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those who are called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Paul is saying, to answer our question, is there a God? He's saying, yes, most certainly there is a God. And to that we could say, oh, thank God <laughs> that there is a God. And listen to this, according to what Paul is saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying that not only is there a God, but you can know him and you can understand some things about him. Now, you're not going to understand everything, neither am I. We aren't but we can understand some things about God. He's going to bring some things to light in our mind, in our understanding, in our life. But again, so here's the question. Since there is a God, what is God like? That's where we ended last week. What is God like? And how do we know what God is like? Most people, if we ask that question, what is God like? Most people would answer that question with a phrase like this. Well, I think God is, and then they're going to fill in that blank. That, that empty. I think God is, they fill in the blank with what they think that God is like and what they feel from their perspective that God is like. Kind of like this. I made me a little Lego God. We talked to some uh, kids this week and we said, hey, if you could build a God, what it would look like. So I came in and replicated this today. Here's an example of what a child might say. Here's what God's like built out of Legos. Here's our Lego God. That's what it could look like right there. Um, quite a nice looking God we've got there. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. This Lego God is probably no better, no stronger, no smarter, no wiser than the God that we think about when we create our own God. <laughs> it's probably no different. We might as well have a Lego God. Now, statistics tell us that almost everyone, as we're growing up, we're all given some idea of who God is and what God is like. Most often it happens as a child, and it continues as a teenager. And for some people, it begins as a teenager or maybe even as an adult. But you are handed some ideas. Someone somewhere says, they hand you this. They say, here's what God's like. And they tell you something. They say, here, believe this about God. And what is happening? With that information, as a person grows up and becomes a teenager or becomes an adult, they might begin to think like this. They might begin saying, I don't think 
I don't think I like that God too much. <laughs> I don't think I like that. I don't think I could submit to a God like that. I don't think that that is what God is really like. Now, this may not be your story, but for some of us, it is our story. Many people have a story that's like this, and, and it's happening at a, a, a growing rate. It's the deconstruction of that God that was handed to us. Now, I, I want to be clear. That's not totally a bad thing. The deconstruction of that God is not totally a bad thing. It, it's not a bad thing to look at what was handed to us and to ask the question, is that really what God is like? What I was told about God, what I was handed as a child about God, is that really what God is like? But here's where things get tricky when we begin to deconstruct, okay? Here's where it gets tricky. It's with what we do next. You see, after we deconstruct our idea of God and we start over, what we do to start over is vitally important. What we do to, after we've deconstructed that God, what we do to start over is so, so, so important. And what's happening more and more is that we begin then, after we deconstruct our God, we begin to uh, construct and build God the way we think that he should be. And we add pieces to God. We're like, okay, yeah. I, I don't believe that my God would send anybody to hell. He's so loving. And so we begin to add pieces to that God. We add our own pieces. We say, well, I, I believe that, uh, uh, that a good God would never allow bad things to happen to people. And so we add more pieces to that God. We're constructing something new. We say, um, I think that God would always be fair, I believe, and um, he would treat people fair according to what I believe is fair and what I think is fair in my life. I think he would do that. And so we add a piece there. Uh, we say, a good God would never allow bad things to happen, perhaps. Oh, that... That God's already fallen apart. <laughs> Would never allow bad things to happen to good people. And so we start adding and adding and adding. And so we create a God that we think, okay, I could submit to that God. That God has all the elements, all the things that I think it should be like. And so this is a God of our own creation. And we rebuild God into something that we can accept, into something that we can live with, something we can approve. Now, unfortunately, deconstruction often becomes me construction. In other words, I'm building my own personal God, a God that is probably ultimately about as useful as this Lego God I've built because it's a God of my own making. See, if we look inside scripture, we can see some attributes of how God describes himself to us. And sometimes we see those and we don't like what we find. You know, if you're anything like me, we're like, I'm not sure I like that. And as a result, we reject what scripture says because we're not sure we like that. And so we begin the process of me construction after we have deconstructed God. And along the way, 
I likely have to do one of three things, at least. Here's the first one. I, I might redefine what Scripture says. As I'm reading through it, I might redefine it so that it can realign with what I want God to be like. Or I could do this. I might just ignore Scripture and kind of push it off to the side. I might just ignore it because it doesn't uh, line up with what I like. And so um, I, I don't want Scripture messing with my concept of God, so I might just ignore what Scripture says. Or I could even do this. I might just devalue Scripture, saying that it, it's really too old and outdated, and it's just wrong. It's not authoritative. Now, with any of those three options, I have now become the authority. As I begin to explain, here's the type of God that I choose to believe in. All of these three reactions, if I redefine Scripture, if I ignore Scripture, if I devalue Scripture, they have one thing in common. What began as deconstruction becomes me construction. I have now created my own God that truly is no God at all. Now, before you run out, or before you tune me out, let me be very clear. Deconstruction is not a bad thing. It is actually, it can be a very good thing. Because it's through deconstruction that we begin to shed some of the assumptions that we have about God and that we were taught that maybe really are not characteristic of God. It's as we begin to remove some of these assumptions that we have been handed and we begin to deconstruct the inaccuracies maybe of what we had thought or what we had gathered or what someone told us. And we lose some of these things that we thought about God. We began to deconstruct those, those things that aren't true and we began to take those away. So deconstruction, you know, we can be on a good track as we deconstruct a God that really is not God at all. But after deconstruction, what comes next? Will it be me construction based upon what I think or what culture says, or will it be reconstruction based upon what God has said about himself in Scripture? Will it be reconstruction? Now, the very fact that you walked into a building today where the church meets, you have an idea and an assumption probably that we're going to make reference to these 66 different books and letters um, penned over some 40, uh, by some 40 different people handpicked by God all over the course, written over the course of about 1,500 years, but they tell one seamless story. And since you know that we as a church are going to refer to these, uh, these books and these letters as scripture, well, the fact that that means I probably don't have to build a case today to try to prove to you that God uses these scriptures to tell us and teach us about who he is. But it's very possible that maybe some of us today are not in that category. You still walked into a building knowing we were going to refer to this, but maybe for you, you think, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I agree with that. 
So maybe you're thinking, uh, not me. Don't put me in that group. I'm just kind of checking things out. Or I was promised lunch or <laughs> whatever the case may be. If that's the case, I just want to simply point you towards a series that we did a little over a year ago. It was June of 2021, and we named the series Bossy Pants. <laughs> it's a great series. I, I enjoyed being a part of teaching that. You can find that series if you'll go to SoundCloud, and then at SoundCloud in the search, if you'll search for Harley Petty, and then you could put in that behind it also Bossy Pants, Harley Petty, Bossy Pants. It will probably pull that up, and you could listen to that series. That series is all about uh, just kind of talking about Scripture. It's it's about how we believe that Scripture is inspired, that it's authentic, that it's authoritative, and we talk about what all that means. That would be a great place for you to go, and I'm not saying we're trying to convince you of that. I'm just letting you know why we think that to be the case, because I encourage you to go check that out if you haven't heard it, because here's why. Because Scripture is irreplaceable when we are trying to answer the question that we are asking today. What is God like? And if we want to know what God is like, isn't the best place for us to look? Isn't it where he tells us himself what he is like, rather than developing our own ideas based upon what we think? and based upon what we hear that God should be like. You know, there are so many concepts about God out there. Every, you know, you talk to 100 people, you might get 100 different answers about what God is like, probably would. In fact, um, we made a case last week where we said that everyone, uh, really, certainly, maybe not everyone, but every single culture, every people group in all of history has had some concept of a God. Now, that can be defined as this. Theism, theism, there it is on the screen, it means a general belief in God. Every single culture in all of history has had some kind of theism, some kind of theology, a belief about God. Now, from theism, we get all kinds of isms. First, we have polytheism, which means there are many, many, many different gods. That's what they believe, uh, like kind of uh, Hinduism. They believe in polytheism. For Hinduism, uh, there are three major gods, and then they have 33 minor gods. Listen, have you ever tried to serve or think about serving 36 gods, right? We're like, oh, I'm having trouble with one, <laughs> 36, but they're, they're not done. Three major, 33 minor gods, but then there's an additional 330 million gods for Hinduism. They take Pali all the way to the, to the extreme, right? Hinduism. Uh, there's also another kind of group of isms. It's called monotheism, which means one God only. Only one God. One God. Monotheism. There are three major monotheistic religions in the world today. Three major ones. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Those are the three major monotheistic religions in the world today. Now, there's also something called deism. If you look back to our founding fathers, most of them were deists. Many of them were deists. And they say God exists, but God is distant 
and he's not involved in people's everyday lives. That's deism. And then there's the all-encompassing pantheism, which means everything is God. Everything is God. So we have to ask, which ism is it? <laughs> which ism is the right ism? Now, since we believe that God exists, and we're asking the question, what is he like? There are endless types of ideas concerning what God is like. So we already mentioned Hinduism, and there's been uh, Buddhism, there's Taoism, there's so many things. We got Jehovah's Witnesses, we got Mormons, we've got Unitarianism, on and on and on and on we can go. There are so many representations everywhere about what they believe God is like. And we know this, they can't all be right, correct? They can't all be right. That's just something we know. They're so different, they can't all be right. Listen to what the psalmist wrote as he was kind of addressing this issue of many, many gods. He said this in Psalm 115, uh, starting with verse 2, he said, why let the nations say? So the nations around the psalmist and around Israel are saying, hey, where's your God? So he said, why let the nations say, where is their God? And now when he wrote this, when the psalmist wrote this, um, they were the only monotheistic culture, and it was Israel, all right? Every other culture was, uh, was polytheistic. They had many, many, many gods. And here's how uh, the psalmist answered that. He said, yeah, what is our God like? Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. And he goes on to describe other gods. He said, their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. And mouths, but cannot breathe. They have hands and cannot feel, but feet and feet that cannot walk and throats that cannot make a sound. And those who make the idols are just like them, as <clears throat> are all who trust in them. In other words, he's saying there are so many things out there, but there is really only one God. And so here we are now trying to discover what is God like? And we want to try to answer some of these questions. And here's what Paul is saying, that it is not discoverable through the eyes and the imagination and the thoughts of man. If, if, we're, if it's left to us, we're going to create something that's not like God at all. But as we've already said, when it comes to God, what we don't understand, we tend to deconstruct, and then we rebuild based upon what we think. And so our new me-God construction, our me-construction, is creating a God that we can understand, that we think that we could serve, that we could approve of. But let's be honest. We don't get to decide, do we? We know this deep down inside. We don't get to decide who God is, and what God is like. Even if we don't like what he tells us about himself, we don't get to decide. So finally, now, after all of that, we are going to begin this week and for the next two weeks answering the question, well, okay, so what does God tell us about himself? What does he say he's like? In order to do that, let's go all the way back to the beginning for just a moment. I love going to the beginning. 
Genesis 1-1. And Genesis is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It answers so many questions for me. But here we see it begins to answer this question too. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Those are the first words of Genesis, the first words that God lays out there for us in Genesis, in the beginning, God, which means this, God has always been. A fancy word for that is he's self-existent. He's always been. Nothing caused God to happen. In the beginning, well, it, God was already there. And that statement is, has some very <clears throat> big implications for us. <clears throat> God doesn't depend upon anything for him to continue to exist. That means he was already there. He is here now, and he's going to be in the future for always. He does not depend upon anything for his continued existence. This is an important thing that God lets us know about himself that God has always been. For God, there was no beginning. There will be no end. He does not depend upon anything at all. He describes himself as the Alpha, the Omega. He himself is the beginning and end. Jesus describes this as well in John chapter 5. Here's what Jesus says about God the Father. He says, the Father has life in himself. In other words, nothing caused him to happen. He has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. Jesus, he's saying, that's me too. God. Verse 27, he says, and then he's given him, that's Jesus, the authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Jesus says, God has life in and of himself. And you say, okay, Harley, listen, okay, big words, but what does this have anything to do with me today? The fact that God has always been. Why does it matter that he's always been? Why does it matter that nothing caused God to happen? That doesn't, uh, uh, why, why does it matter that there's nothing, that he needs nothing for him to continue to exist? Why does that matter, Harley? Well, it matters because God doesn't need us to worship him. God doesn't need us to be in relationship with him. God is just fine without us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to worship him. He doesn't need it. But listen, he doesn't need a relationship with him. But listen, he wants a relationship with us. That's why this is so big. He invites us to be in a relationship with him. He willingly delights in us. In fact, as we look through scripture, we even find places where God sang over his creation, not just any part of his creation, but people. He sang over Israel, the people of Israel. We find that in Zephaniah. I bet you'd never been there. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is living among you, speaking to Israel. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. And he, listen to this, description of God. He gave it to us. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now, this was written to Israel, but I, I, I just wonder, from what I see in the New Covenant, I believe God loves us so much that he just might choose 
to sing over you too. Wow. God wants a connection. He wants a relationship. Doesn't need it. He wants a relationship with grubby old me. Wow. And you, he wants it. He desires it. He doesn't need us. He wants us. Kind of gives you the warm fuzzies in your heart, does it not? Wow. Not only do we know that God has always been, but those same words of Jesus tell us something else about God that we can know. It's significant too. John chapter 5, we're back there again. The Father has life in himself. We talked about that. He has granted the same life-giving power to his Son. We talked about that in verse 27. And he has given him, Jesus, the authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Now listen to what this is telling us. Another part, another bit of information about who God is. Here's what it means. God can judge man, and here's this part of God, because God is beyond man. God is beyond man. The big fancy word for that is transcendent. God is the creator. He is entirely distinct and separate from his creation. Now, as incredible and as beautiful as creation is, and as loudly as we hear in the book of Romans in many places in Psalms, that creation screams out that there is a creator. God is entirely distinct from everything in the universe, everything he has created. He is distinct, separate from that. It's just like a builder of a house, right? A builder is distinct from the house. The builder is not the house. The house is not the builder. They're separate. They're distinct. God is not found within the trees. God is not found inside the wells or the dolphins. God is not within the mountains. Those are all parts of his creation, but they are not part of him. Paul gives us an idea of what this is like. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start a few words into verse 15. The blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So he is clearly speaking about God. Verse 16. He alone can never die. Everything else we understand is in the process of decay. Everything else is in the process of winding down, falling apart, right? We all know this as we get older, right? We know this. Everything is, not just us, but everything around us is too. And it says, so he alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen, is what Paul writes. In other words, Paul is saying that God is over here, and then his creation is over here. They're separate. 
There is a gulf, a void between the two, between God and between his creation. We don't have a word in the English language that can adequately describe the void that separates God and his creation. God is on a stage all his own. God is beyond his creation. God is not part of creation like the concept we hear of Mother Nature. No, 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 no. He is not some supernatural force that's inside of nature that's a part of creation. No, 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 no. The creator is not found in the creation. The creator is greater than the creation. He is greater than we can understand. He's greater than we can comprehend. God is greater than we could even imagine. We can't imagine the greatness of God. And you say, okay, Harley, well, what does that matter? Here's why it matters. God is above all creation. That means he has authority, as Jesus said, authority over all creation. And he is so far beyond our ability to understand him fully. And while we can, uh, us trying to understand God, it can be so frustrating because we can't figure out God with our minds. I want you to know that is great news. So here's why that is so important. You and I can rest in the fact that we will never come close to fully understanding God. The mind of God, we won't understand that fully. The thoughts of God, they won't make sense to us, nor the ways of God. Because if our minds could comprehend him fully, he would be a very small, insignificant, powerless God. But while God is not found inside of the trees, and God is not a part of the earth and the mountains and the oceans, while God is not inside his creation, here's the next thing that is revealed to us in Scripture about God. God is involved with his creation. He's involved with his creation. He's not part of it. He's involved. God does not just simply uh, have a great view in, from heaven, observing and just allowing things to play out and just saying, okay, I got it all started. Now y'all just kind of go out there and do your thing. God didn't do that. He's not just observing, watching it happen. He is actually intimately involved, not just with creation, but with you and with me. He's, we, we find in scripture, leading us like a shepherd. He's guiding us like a friend. He's helping us and loving us and disciplining us like a parent. Listen again to what Paul wrote here, Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> he said, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Paul is saying, God has placed that inside of you. God put that in you. That's part of his purpose. Why? Because he wants you to know him. He knows you intimately. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find him. He wants you to seek after him. He wants a connection with you, not because he needs it, 
because he wants it. So he said he's hoping that we would find him. And then Paul says this, though he is not far from any one of us. He's not far. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and exist. Paul is saying God is so near us. He can be known. In fact, he wants to be known. Carly, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because God can be known and wants us to know him. That matters. And you know what happens next? If we seek him, we will find him. God is personal. God wants a direct connection with us. He wants a relationship with us. So if we really seek him through the connections that he has provided, he tells us we will find him. We only have to be willing. So here's my question. Are you willing? If you say yes, you're going to learn so much more about God. You'll discover things like this. The writer of Hebrew tells us this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, from the past, as far as you can go in the past, through forever, you will find, here's another thing we are told about God. Here's another element of, of who God is. You will find that God is eternal and God is infinite. He's eternal and he's infinite. The psalmist put it this way, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, he said, or before you had even formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, God is eternal. God is infinite. God is forever. God is beyond the clock. He's not on the clock. God is beyond the calendar. He's not on the calendar. He's past the calendar. He, he's beyond the calendar. God is infinite. Let's be honest. There have been people in your life somewhere similar to me, <clears throat> maybe not as ugly, so, similar to me, in a similar situation in some church somewhere, they have said something somewhat similar on stages, probably not like this one that has an outhouse on it, probably not like this stage, but on a stage somewhere, someone has told you something like this. They have said similar things that God has eternal, been around for a long time. And, and those words sound good and they're quite spiritual, but they fail to resonate with us. So really, do you really believe that, what you've been told? Do you really believe that God is involved in his creation and he wants us to find him? Do you really believe that God is eternal, that God is infinite? Do you really believe that God has always been and will always be? You see, those statements, they fail to resonate with us. 
Do you know why those statements fail to resonate with us? Why they often just create more questions than we have answers for? Because we, we are on the clock. Because we are on the calendar. We are finite. We are not infinite. God is infinite. We are finite. The concept of eternity, no matter the big words that are used to explain it, no matter the snappy uh, uh, analogies that we produce to explain this, we can't truly understand eternity. We simply just think of eternity as a lot of time right? We think of it as a lot of time. But the truth is, eternity is outside of time. God can see the end from the beginning. He's not on the clock. We can't understand that because we are bound by time. We are bound by this day and then the next day, and God is not. He is described as eternity to eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. We cannot wrap our minds around that. <clears throat> but this has significant implications for us. Because God is not bound by time, and he is not bound by right now on the calendar, this day, this moment, at the same moment, God is present in your past, and at the very same moment, he's present with you right now, and at the very same moment, God is already in your future. Uh, what? Yes, that is significant. He is in all those places at the same time because he's not bound by time. He's not bound by the calendar. He's not bound by this physical space. Wow. Here's why that is so important. It means we are never going to surprise or shock God. Never. He already knows how it turns out for you. That bad decision that you're going to make next year, he's already there. And he's waiting on you there. Wow. The God of creation is already waiting for you at the end result of that bad decision you have not made yet, but he knows you're going to make it. He's already there. He's there at the end result of a good decision that you make. He's already there. He already knows. You are not going to shock God ever with that bad decision, that horrible sin, that addiction, that problem. God already knows. And he knows all the good decisions too. He already knows. And God is not going to run away from your life screaming, you idiot, why did you do that again? He's not going to do it. No, he's already there. 
He already knows it's coming and he still loves you. And he still says, I want you to be in a relationship with me. He is ready for you at this very moment for that bad decision that's coming. That's really going to hurt you spiritually and going to hurt you physically and going to hurt the people in your lives. He is already there waiting to take your soul to his hospital. He is already there. You're never going to surprise. You're never going to shock. You're never going to see God running away from you saying, you idiot, I told you so. Oh, thank God. Wow. You see, deconstruction, here's what all this means for us today. Deconstruction. It can be a really good thing. It can be great. Getting rid of what we thought God should be like. But what happens next is so important. Are we just going to look for the pieces that we agree with and say, oh, this is what I think God should be and just start over? with the very same thing, only it's me construction instead of what someone else handed me. I'm going to construct God based upon what I think and what I feel. Is it just going to be that again? Or can it be reconstruction based upon what God has told us about himself through his scriptures? And this morning, here's what we discovered about God, that what he has said about himself to us to help us understand some of what God is like. God has always been. He doesn't need us. He wants us. God is beyond man. You can rest in the fact that you will never come close to fully understanding God. He is that big. And yet, he still, this God, wants to be involved in his creation. God can be known, and he wants to be known to you. And God is eternal and infinite. He already knows. He's been there. You are not going to surprise or shock God. I hope that this week you will look back over these notes. I really do. If you don't know how to get there, holler at me, call me, email me, text me, something. I'll help you get there. Look back over these notes, or maybe you just go back to uh, Facebook and just or YouTube and listen to this teaching again. All right, just just take this in this week. These are just a handful of the things that God said. I want you to know about me. This is what I'm like, not what you thought. This is what I'm like. This is who I am. Look back over those this week, and if you haven't already. Sign up to get that little tiny text, almost one a day. Little tiny text, or you can get it in the very same email. I'll tell you this, if you do the email too, we send a picture along with that that you can use. You can put it on your computer and you can put it as a wallpaper on your phone to help you remember, to help you think about who God is telling us 
who he is and what he's like. You only have to sign up for that once. And we're only going to do it through this series. We won't keep doing it. So just sign up. If you haven't signed up, use that link, sign up. But make sure if you have the notes open, save those notes first or they will disappear. I hope you'll go back over this. And I hope you will relish in the reality that God wants you to know him. And you can find him as his spirit points you and guides you. You can find him. And I hope that you'll come back next week. See, what we talked about last week and what we talked about today, God desires to know you. He wants you to know him. And God desires that we know him more. He desires that we understand him more. And the starting place for that is what he's already told us about in his scripture. So my hope is that you will keep searching because he wants to be known by you. And don't miss next week. I'm going to pray for us right now, and we're going to take this opportunity to worship this Jesus, our God, known as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, one God. Let's worship him, but first let's pray. God, you have always been. You don't need us. God, you want us. And you are beyond us. We will never come close to understanding you, God. And yet, you still want to be intimately involved in our lives. We can know you as we can be known by you. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You are eternal and infinite. God, we're not going to surprise you. We're not going to shock you. God, today, some of our hearts are crying out and saying, we want to know you, God. We want to know you. Not our interpretation of you. Not what we think you should be like or who you should be. No, 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 God. We want to know you. And as your spirit leads us and guides us, may we know you more. May we understand you more. And it's in the name of our Savior, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.